Yeah. How's it going? Welcome to the podcast. Should I say howdy? Having just returned from the great state of Texas and the town of Austin. Today is Sunday, March 10th, 2019. Let me tell you about my trip. Fantastic. I was there for a teacher's conference and It was a four-day conference. When I woke up day five to depart, my body just wanted to go to more conferences. It was confused that today was not another conference day. I realized how much I enjoyed other people doing the teaching, other people doing the work. I could be a full-time conference guy. Is that a thing? Just attending. One after the next. But it was great to meet my tribe, to press the flesh, to recall that I have a place in this world. There are others out there like me. I talk to everyone, not just teachers, bartenders, musicians. Google has a big home base down there, so I spoke to the most cutting-edge and creative minds in all of technology, and it was stimulating, overstimulating at times. I haven't been in conversations of this high a level, and I can't even recall when. And then I brought a book I was reading about the Philadelphia Eagles Super Bowl winning season, and I found that a little overstimulating, too. I couldn't read it at night because I was getting a little too excited. Overstimulation might be the word to describe my wonderful seven days in Austin. It was cool talking to uh, such smart and creative, funny, good, and ethical people. I felt a little even like the dumbest guy in the room at times which is good for me. I need that humility. I need to remember that I'm not as smart nor as handsome as I think I am. This trip to Austin was humbling, a humbling week for narcissism, and yet a very inspiring week as well met a lot of CEOs. I realized the term CEO is bandied about fairly uh, loosely these days. Everyone seems to be the CEO of something. This was a title that previously had a bit of reverence and impact behind it, but now CEOs seem to be a dime a dozen. I officially declare myself from this point on the CEO of the Brian Francis podcast. So, don't feel nervous meeting a CEO. I'm just like you. I'm just a little better. But it was fun getting out of my element because while teachers that I interact with on a general level can be very inspiring, there is a bit of a crowd that is less so. I would call them the slip and fall crowd. These are the teachers that await the news. Is it icy out? What's the school parking lot like? 
They seem to shuffle about just waiting to fall in the parking lot and get involved in a slip and fall lawsuit. This seems to be their main motivation for teaching. I try to avoid the slip and fall crowd. I hung with the CEO crowd, the cutting edge, the innovative minds, which I got to tell you are all like uh, punk rock skaters. The world is being run by tatted up punk rock skaters. Google, Indeed, a couple other major tech companies down in Austin, which now I think I have to get more tattoos. It would be a good career move. I don't even have a choice if I want to keep up with this crowd. So the world is upside down. Everyone you thought was running the world is not. We're running the world, just us kids. Well, I'm older than a kid now, but in my mind, that's where I am. But I felt like I held my own, even though I wasn't the sharpest guy in the room always. My slightly right of center, slight free enterprise take on education uh, went over pretty well. I think people were intrigued by my ideas. Some had never heard of them before because they continue to swim in the same circles too. So I hope that I um, gave something to these conversations and conferences as well as took a number of things away. But it's great to meet great people. It's like good people create good people. It makes me yearn for smarter friends, ethical friends, good friends. Friends that change the world, because that stuff rubs off. So that's where I am now. But a teacher's conference is fascinating. It was four days long. I was particularly moved by the final day, the closing hours. This is where they really give the low-tier B-side presentations. When the thing is wrapping up, when the momentum is lost, this is the worst time slot to be a presenter. People were literally sitting on their suitcases, looking at their watches. You couldn't convey any information if you had the four o'clock final day time slot. You can get on stage and say, okay, in this presentation, I'm going to set myself on fire. I don't think anyone would pay attention. They might raise their hand and say, how long is this going to take? That's how daunting the four o'clock last day time slot is a sea of suitcases. The first night, Google hosted the party, which was amazing and super cool. The fourth day, when momentum is lost, Commodore 64 hosted the party. ColecoVision hosted the pre-party. That's where we were. Things were sputtering. Jeb Bush spoke, former Florida governor and former presidential candidate Jeb Bush. I think the four o'clock last day slot would have been a good fit for Jeb. In truth, they didn't even give him the biggest room. They didn't even give him the keynote room. When Jeb spoke, that was the one time throughout the week I felt like I wasn't the dumbest guy in the room. I was like, all right. I could hang with, with Jeb. 
<sighs> low energy Jeb Bush. I mean, you could see, you know, the hundreds of teachers in the room watching Jeb speak. And I think we all had the same idea or thoughts running through our brain. Jeb, what is it like to be destroyed on national TV? What does that feel like? Because I got to say, he still seemed a little shell shock from his dressing down in the debates. He still seemed a little off and woozy. That's, that's the deal with politics, I guess. If you want to play in an arena that big, you got to be prepared for your life to never be the same. And in Jeb's case, to walk away as a shell of the person you once were. But he had some good ideas. Hey, this podcast is brought to you by Integrity Wealth Management. They can help you with your portfolio management, retirement planning, financial planning, estate planning, and services, life insurance, and wealth preservation strategies. Please call them at 215-864-3598 or visit their website at integritywealthmanagement.com. So I did have some great interactions with colleagues and people on the cutting edge of the world. But I also went to a network networking party in which I got to admit, folks, I bombed. I totally bombed. Here's my advice on how Brian Francis's tips for doing a successful networking party. Step one, arrive and drink the free alcohol, at an alarming rate to quell your social anxiety. Step two, stand against the wall and text your wife and a friend. Step three, talk to absolutely no one. And then finally leave. That's that's how I did it. Go there, talk to no one, and leave. I don't know. I was nervous. I realized I'm not as social as I seemingly thought I was either. Now, I did come out of my shell as the week went on, but it's tough. It's tough to be thrown into one of those situations. I realize all you have to do is say the dumbest opening line, and you can get involved in a conversation with cool people about fun stuff, but sometimes I couldn't even build myself up for the opener. But as the week went on, I did have some, some great interactions with people, and I met some friends, and maybe I should have gotten very clingy with the first friend I met at the networking party. Hey, how's it going? And they'd be like, well, it was great talking. Uh, I'll, hopefully I'll see you around later. I'd say, Where, why are you walking away? Where are you going? Get very clingy and possessive with my one friend at the networking party. Now, I, I made a lot of friends. And a lot of people that I'm going to contact later, probably later today, to follow up with some conversations we had and see where our ideas can maybe interface there's a tech word for you. There's an Austin word for you. Interface uh, in our careers going forward. So I did go from Wallflower in the final send-off party, a rooftop party on 6th Street in Austin, to by the end I was holding court. I was holding court. It can be nice to interact with other people. There's a study in which four people are throwing a ball around and the fifth is sitting by himself on the sideline 
and that fifth person's serotonin and dopamine levels are significantly lower than the four that are involved in the ball toss. My, my dopamine was through the roof at times down in Texas. And that Texas barbecue, it lived up to the hype. I ate a lot. I doubled up on my, my fish oil intake this week, which probably didn't even cut through those meats. So good. There's like no greenery in Texas in terms of uh, cuisine. Like you can't find a salad. I was like, can I get a salad? They were like, you mean a potato salad? <laughs> I said, yeah, yeah I guess. They're like, who's, who's that salad boy? I don't trust him. People in Austin were so nice. That's, a, that's an inaccurate caricature. They were so friendly. So nice. What a great culture. But when I was down there, I saw Luke Perry died. Mercy. I used to watch 90210. Even in college, I remember like, I used to live in a house in college with a collection of students and friends. And we befriended uh, the locals. The locals. And I think that's a real telltale sort of sign about your personality. When you went to college, did you merely interact with college students, your friend group, or the people that you met? Or did you also interact with, quote unquote, the locals? The locals. I did and always made it a point too. And I felt that my college education went beyond the classroom walls, that it was important to both connect and interact with the people that live in the town. Don't just take. Don't just be a taker. Show up. What do you got for me? Give me your education and your food and whatever else, but give back. So interacting with the locals. At one point, I lived in a flop house sort of apartment where I'd wake up and every morning there would be a scattering of gutter punks sleeping on the couch somewhere. Some local gutter punks with Bull ring, nose piercings, tatted up, and uh, they would be like, yo, put the 90210 on. And I would think, yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. We would all find common ground watching Jason Priestley and his crew. But I want smarter friends. I want a friend like the girl in 90210 that wrote for the school newspaper. I forget her name. The one that nobody ever hooked up with. That's the friend I want. But the people I attract are always like these Ian Zeering types, these Steve Sander types. Why is that? Why couldn't they have taken Steve Sanders? I'm only kidding. I hope Ian Zeering continued health and success. Um, but these are the types I attract versus the types I'd like to interact with. That chick who wrote for the newspaper that no one hooked up with. That's my scene. It was a tough week for deaths. I saw King Kong Bundy died. I, as a boy in the 80s, was very connected to WWF wrestling. Very emotionally connected. And I cannot think of a person that I hated more when I was maybe in third or fourth grade than King Kong Bundy. He was my arch enemy in life. 
later replaced by the Iron Sheik and Nikolai Volkov as WWF Wrestling rolled out caricatures of Russian and um, Red Scare propaganda, right? The Iron Sheik was from Iran, but the same idea. Whatever country the United States had negative relationships with at the time, that's the guy Hogan's going to fight. That's the guy Hulk Hogan's going to pile drive. This was paper-thin propaganda, the WWF script. But boy, I hate it, Bundy, too. I was shaken when I saw that. I was wondering if I should take next week off. Granted, I've been away at a teacher's conference in which I was blessed to attend and my school district paid and supported, uh, but I might take a following week off because of the death of King Kong Bundy. Reason for absence, death of Bundy. I'm going to say, you know what, I need next week off and we'll see about next Monday. I wouldn't even commit to the following Monday. That's how shaken I was. buddy of mine from out of town contacted me when the Phillies signed Bryce Harper for $330 million. Nice. Over 13 years. What a crazy contract. My goodness. Anyway, I was so excited. He said, you should take the next day off. What, what would my reason for absence be then? Free agent signing. I'm going to need the next day off. But that's how excited I was. So... In terms of WWF 80s wrestling, though, I was more of a an Ivan Putski guy. Polish power. Being Polish myself, we don't have many superheroes to emulate or look up to. Banachek, maybe George Papard's Banachek, the 1970s detective, and the 1980s quarterback for the Eagles, Ron Jaworski, the Polish rifle. And that's about it. It was difficult as a young Polish boy growing up without a lot of idols. So I looked to Putski as uh, someone to emulate from my culture. I got in the Uber down in Austin. And I said, I'm here for the teacher's conference. I seemed, It felt like the, the driver didn't believe me. He was like, really? I guess I didn't seem the type. Aside from Jeb Bush speaking, Dan Rather also spoke at the conference. I don't even know what he said because I was so enraptured by his southern whiskey drawl. What a great voice Dan Rather has. Does he have one of the best sort of whiskey tones? Now, I'm not going to say that Dan Rather drinks whiskey or drinks or not. I don't know, but it just sounds like a great whiskey. Who are some other... Uh, gentlemen with great whiskey draws. Pat Summerall, former John Madden uh, colleague in NFL football commentary. He had a great draw. Richard Dawson, host of Family Feud back in the 80s. Another great whiskey draw. And even Sinatra I would throw in that crowd too. They have great tone. Sometimes your tone can be so great that I can't even hear what you're saying because I'm so... I find myself in such admiration of how you sound that I'm not quite sure what you've said. 
but rather was great. And of course, I caught so much live music down there. Sixth Street is where all the, or a lot of the bars that feature live music are all in about a six block radius. And uh, it was great. You walk down the main drag and there's just music bleeding into music in this wild, debaucherous, hedonistic, beautiful scene. But anytime rock and roll is prevalent, there's always those that have flown too close to the sun. And I'm talking about mm, the lunatics, the panhandlers, the people that have been burned by the gamble that is rock and roll. My wife joined me. And I feel like while we had perhaps, I think, the greatest getaway that I can recall in our in our marriage. Um, by day three, I think she was ready to go. I think she had seen enough of the rock and roll lifestyle, whereas I could have and continued to keep rocking and rolling. It felt very natural to me. Very natural. I could fly too close to the sun and perhaps be a yammering maniac on the corner of Fifth and Congress which are two cross streets in Austin. A big thing, of course, when you're traveling, people say, where are you from? Where are you from? I would say Philly, and people are very, you know, receptive, nice. People in Austin generally nice no matter where you say. But I was getting bored with the Philly response. I've been working on a lot of my impressions, and lately I've been working on my Midwestern impression. So I would say Wisconsin. I'm for, oh, from Wisconsin, do you know I just unpacked my bags? My bags are over here. I didn't say that. But it would be a nice opportunity to try out new accents and impressions when you're in a new town. And I really want to get that Wisconsin accent down. The only thing I wanted to buy in Austin was a belt buckle. And I got it. And I'm so pleased with it, folks. It's just beautiful. I feel like it perfectly fits my personality. Not too much, but certainly not too little. Pretty hefty in weight and size. Someone said, you're a man now that you got your belt buckle. And I kind of felt that way. It almost felt like a religious ceremony. My belt mitzvah is what it felt like. I do feel like a man now that I have a belt with a significant buckle. Good belt buckle culture down there in Texas. But Austin, man, it's like, uh, I guess like any semi-hipster city in the sense that it's just a lot of young and old people just not giving up on being young. Just living, I hate to say living the dream because there's a little bit of a a dark side, but not so much. I mean, these people were genuinely happy and they're just like, I'm going to live my life playing, playing music, attending music. It's almost a rejection of evolution. That yes, we know evolution prescribes us to mate and to have children and continue the race, but people in Austin and other hipster cities are more or less like, eh, is that really a prescription for happiness? Do our biological impulses to acquire more 
and to have children to continue the human race, are they really necessary at this point in a world that is overpopulated as is? Do our biological impulses, in fact, now, in this modern, comfortable world, lead to a miserable life? Now that we have successfully moved out of cave dwellings into temperature-controlled houses, and our evolution has given us the comfort to the point where we must ask, do we need to unwire it? Do we need to trick it? If our whole premise of wiring is reproduce and get more stuff, is that a prescription for misery? Because one can never reproduce enough, or the act of reproducing anyway. And one can never acquire enough stuff unless you unwire, some would say, these disastrous impulses of evolution. And that seems to be what happens in Austin, this city that has rejected evolution in favor of art and rock and roll. Because what, what more do you need? People always want more stuff. Like I booked an Airbnb in Austin and a week before my trip, it was canceled on their end because they said they're not doing Airbnb anymore. So I had to scramble to find a hotel. I found one on 6th Street with one star and so many negative reviews. But I said, you know what? I got I to gotta book this place. I'm in a rock and a hard place. I booked it. Guess what? It was fine. It was fine. Was it the most modern hotel I've never stayed in? Was it the Westin in Times Square? No. But it was fine. Man, to read the reviews, I thought I was going to die. It's a little dated, a little musty, but whatever. People today, man, everyone is the queen of England when it comes to these Yelp reviews. Get a life. I, I'm so sick of connoisseur culture. Prior to going to Europe, man, we read reviews, watch your backpack, watch the gypsies, Watch, you know, it's all fear-mongering, folks. Europe's fine. Austin's fine. Everywhere. Who do you think you are? You know what it is? It's just, we live in a trolling culture. Just bash everything. Create nothing and bash everything. Isn't this the, the people I interact with often are this. Just compare, just, you're born, you consume and rate it, and then you die. Give nothing but you pig. This is better than that, but this wasn't as good as that. Connoisseur culture. Everyone's the queen of England. Relax. So you gotta, you gotta change your mindset. It's all about mindset, man. It's not about like, what the thing is, it's how do you how do you react to it? I've been embracing that a little bit, this idea of stoicism, that you you it's how you feel about things, not necessarily the thing itself. I've just been and I've been so happy looking at the world this way. I was sitting on Sixth Street, my beautiful wife across from me, some great music playing, two quick IPAs right to the head, and um I had this thought. I was like, is this the happiest moment of my life? Kind of this very quiet philosophical thought crept in. Is this the happiest moment of my life? 
And I'm not saying this to say how great the trip was or look at me or check out my pics on Facebook because I'm having such a great life. It's very quiet, very philosophical, but I wonder, what's the happiest moment in your life? What was it? Or maybe it still hasn't happened yet. It might be the thing that you think is, should have been the day I graduated, the day I turned 21, I don't know. Or maybe for me, the night the Eagles won the Super Bowl, which was, you know, euphoric. But yet, I'm thinking more so these quiet moments that sneak up on you that you aren't even prepared for. And you're like, whoa, could this be it? I think of the Bob Dylan album, Nashville Skylines, as a perfect ode to joy. Admittedly, I was in Austin, but Nashville, I'm imagining a town with a similar vibe. And Bob does what very few artists do. He explores joy. Don't we live so often in the exploration of the blues, complaint culture, trolling everything? Bobby D explores joy. And that's what I was exploring sitting there on South Street. Wow. This is amazing. Stoicism preaches gratitude. And boy, did I have it as I sat there. I got to go. But I will tell you the coolest thing I saw in Austin. Catching James McMurtry at a bar called The Continental. If you haven't heard James McMurtry, he is an unbelievable singer-songwriter. Dude can paint a picture. He just nails the tiny details of life, which in fact are the big things in life when you come to think about it. Seeing him leaving and, uh, no, well, no, as I arrived, I arrived at the same time with a dude riding a donkey uh, to the bar. It was just so 1870s. And I thought, you know what? This is Texas. This is amazing. I don't know if you can get a DUI on a donkey. I don't know how that works. But at that moment, once again, I was filled with gratitude. That image, my man rolling up on his donkey to the bar. And guess what? Like, everyone just kind of yawned. It seemed very commonplace that this guy rolling up on a donkey. So that's Texas in a nutshell. All right, folks, thanks for listening. I'll hit you up again if you uh, want to hit me up, Brian Francis Podcast at Outlook.com. Also, Brian Francis Podcast on Twitter. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Mm-hmm.